Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Tom Shea. Tom is a retired senior chief operator, Navy SEAL, a best-selling author and founder of the renowned leadership program, Unbreakable Leadership. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Tom. Thank you, sir, for having me. And uh, I appreciate the offline uh, conversation that we had prior to being here. As well. well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it as well. And, you know, all of our listeners are always curious where people live and work from. So I'll mm-hmm. ask you that up front. Uh, well, I, I answered the first question is uh, I have a g- great relationship with money. It's a great thing to have. So <laughs> we can start with our relationship. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I, my wife, Stacy, and I, we have three kids. And uh, we live in Greenville, South Carolina. We have trainings all across the country, but we operate of, out of Greenville. Great, great, beautiful part of the country. Uh, I, I used to say it's the best place in the world. I made two great decisions. One was marrying my wife. Mm-hmm. The other was moving to Greenville. Now I say it's the hor- most horrible place in the world because now everybody's moving here. Like, don't yeah. come. Yeah. 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 You really have to be careful, uh, especially when you're, oh gosh, here I'm going to make, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some enemies here. But when you're around Californians, <laughs> they're looking for places to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I know you've spent some time in California. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Boy, I was there probably 15 out of 23 years when I was in the SEAL teams. Oh, is that? Yeah. Because, you know, Coronado and, it's a. T- it's also a terrible place because it's the best place in the world to live. Yeah, the beach is right there. It's seventy degrees right now. I could be right ninety percent of the time. Yep. And it doesn't <laughs> rain, so it's a, it's a great place. It is. It is. I lived there for five years and grew to love it and really wished it the beach and the town and everything was in Arizona where I'm from. But it's not. It's in California. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I eventually moved back to Phoenix. But I I remember that every day. Yep. Is much like the day before in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. And there's no bugs. There are bugs in Greenville, my friends. <laughs> are they really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, Tom, at, at Personal Financial Strategy, we're focused on kind of the blocking and tackling of personal finance. And we love to talk about the why of personal finance. But today, because we have you for a short while, we're going to talk about leadership. Most of the strategists listening today, they lead in some capacity. A lot are small business owners. Uh, Some are solopreneurs, but also have small staffs backing them up. And we're anxious to hear your story. Would you give us the path that leads up to what you're devoted to today? Oh my Lord, that's a long question (laughs) or long answer. I think America is, is the greatest place to actually talk about money and leadership because we have opportunity for both here. Yeah. I grew up in the seventies in a small town in Southern Indiana. I say that because everything is, it was normal. It was normal for me to, to carry a gun because we had them in our trucks. It was normal to fail, which I think is the precursor to success is failing. Mm -hmm. I ended up failing a lot in life. And that was the the genesis of me being in the SEAL teams was I had flunked out of West Point in English, which is another funny story. Now that I'm two books into national bestsellers, 
it, it, it took me to the bottom where anything's possible. So from the bottom, you can do a lot of great things because you, you're willing to risk things then. Indeed. So I went in the SEAL teams in 1990, I believe. It then became a series of uh, how you can fail to succeed. And I say that because everybody listening does that on a day-to-day basis. Things don't go well. What do you do when things don't go well? That pattern of my living was fail, fail, fail. Don't give up. Don't give up. Make another promise. It doesn't go well. It took me into SEAL training. And SEAL training is the quintessential, if you don't give up, you will succeed. But here's a thousand reasons to give up. And once you pass through that experience, uh, you can actually write your ticket. Carte blanche, what are you willing to commit to and willing to give your life for? That became a precursor to something that I now in retirement, and we retired in 2014 with no intent to teach it. My wife had asked me to write during my final leadership tour, and I'll take a step back. I define leadership as a commitment to other people. So in the SEAL teams, as a chief, when I was the leader of a a platoon of 22 guys, they mattered more than I did. But to get to that position, you have to to be operating at 100% of your capacity in, in five areas, which I think are unique, which I think is a financial conversation. You have to be healthy all the time. You have to be interested and willing to learn anything on a drop of a dime. And you have to be in a position that you deliver value, which I think is the definition of wealth, pursuing what you value. And you have to be relatable and able to operate on a team. That's the fourth one. And in the SEAL teams, you have to be spiritually inclined. It doesn't mean you have to be Catholic or Protestant or anything, but you have to actually own the conversation called divine intervention. You better start tapping into that because that's what's going to save you when things go south. Mm-hmm. And so those five areas, you have to be exceptionally good in to be a chief mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, and then mm-hmm. give up a lot of your own successes for the platoon. So I, I'm not going to be the guy on the gun. I'm not going to be the one doing all the, the you know, I call it God's work. It's probably the wrong word to call it. And uh, it's all them. So you give them all the graces. They win first, and then you win third. So that process of leadership for 23 year, years of the grace of giving to other people in the teams, I wouldn't feel that way. I wouldn't have articulated that way. The terminology in the teams is team first, gear second, me third, family fourth, and God fifth. So it's a weird way to look at it, mm-hmm. but team is always first. What, we're, what we can do together over what we can do separately, then we retired. And in retirement, I had written a a manuscript to my kids and in my final combat engagement, which ended up being 13 lessons I wanted them to be able to do. It was actually one lesson at a time. So the first lesson I had to pass to the kids in case I died on the next mission. Then I got back from it. And then there was a second mission and then a third mission. And then ended up being 13 lessons that my wife, Stacy got published without my permission. And then it, right? the bullet already got launched. So I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to go public with this. <laughs> In 2014, it made uh, a national bestseller list, and which was a financial nightmare for us because uh, 
we had to pay for printing. Oh, wow. So by the time I got paid, we were around $400,000 in debt, just paying for books to get printed. No kidding. They'd already bought them. But if everybody wants to be an author, just so you know, if you don't get a draw, like an upfront, yeah. you don't get paid for six months on books. Oh, man. So I was like, oh my gosh. I, thank God I had friends that gave me non-obligated loans or they knew that I would pay back, but non-interest bearing loans. And, right. And then six months in, I'm like, we're, I'm going to go to hell. I, I've never seen this <laughs> amount of money and I'm, I don't know how to pay it back. And then it was a crazy time in 2014 in retirement. And I began to see the value of what I call leadership because it impacts people. Mm. Yeah. That's the, the weird way of talking about the path to leadership and how to, how to bring value to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, would you mind giving us the title of that first book? Well, oddly, it was called Spartan Woman. Really? And the publisher that picked it up said, man, nobody gives a a crap about the woman conversation, which I, the, the precursor or the genesis of the book was not just lessons to the kids, but I wanted them to know that uh, strong men don't exist without equally strong women. I see. So he changed the book to uh, Unbreakable, A Navy SEAL's Way of Life, because some reason Navy SEAL is more sexy than Spartan woman. Maybe the title sold it. I have no idea. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yeah. There's and, a story uh, there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. And it's a raw depiction of what a six month deployment was like from a father, husband, and leader's point of view, wanting to fight my way home and having to stay over there and fight. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I always warn people there's cuss words and there's intimate conversations that I didn't want out between Stacy and I that. They're actually 60% of the readers are women. I have no idea why, but uh, <laughs> ended up uh, getting a, a conversation with leaders across the country together, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, leaders of companies would call and say, Hey, I want you to teach me what you're talking about in the book. I see. And I designed a curriculum in 2014 to give leaders an advantage because when leaders are great human beings. Mm -hmm. So are their companies. Like there's no way around that conversation. Bad right. leadership can have money for a while, but then it falls apart and good leadership perpetuates itself. Yeah. We've all seen it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pretty evident. The word that pops into my head when you're talking about being other centered and team oriented is humility. I think people, I think there's a natural attraction to a humble leader. And I also trust, I mean, there's a trust that is conveyed there, at least in my own experience. I don't trust people who aren't humble. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Um, th that conversation has happened many times in the, math, in the last nine years. Mm -hmm. Oddly, the word trust doesn't exist in the SEAL teams. Is that right? Things are so complicated and difficult. If you use the word trust, you can guarantee the person won't deliver. Oh, like really? I trust he will bring the right stuff. So the teams, it's called uh, not a term for it. So no matter what, you have to be checked twice on everything by somebody else. Okay. So don't trust me that I'm going to do the right thing. Verify, please put your hands on all my gear. Make sure that I dotted all the I's, crossed the T's. Don't turn in anything without validation from somebody else. It has to have two eyes on everything. 
you can't have one eye on anything or one person do anything of value. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So disabling to use trust, because usually when you trust somebody, you won't check them. Like I want to make sure, gosh, even in finances, mm-hmm. did you actually put the money in the bank? You didn't. Well, I don't know if we can ever get there until the simple stuff is handled. So right. a long time ago, the teams don't allow trust as a conversation. Yeah. As you, you just- do, like in, in, internally you do, like I would trust them with my life. Mm-hmm. but I'm going to check them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's a really interesting concept, Tom. I don't think I've ever visited that. So it's called love in the teams. Oh, really? I love the guy. The reason why I'm fighting with him is because I, I want him to live. I want to do great things with this guy. You don't fight for your country because the country ain't there. Yeah. It's the guy next to you left and right that keeps you more than you're capable of doing by yourself. So that internal flame for each other, not, not in an intimacy world, but you want that guy to be better and he wants you to be better. Inadvertently, you may use that conversation called trust. If it's important enough, I want to see it first. Right. I want to see the 10 cent item on the million dollar equipment. Right. Did you hit the button? Did you bring batteries? Because we got a million dollar equipment that now have a five cent battery that's going to not work. Yeah. It's become so rigid in the teams that you feel bad that somebody didn't check your stuff. Like, oh, really? I see you want me to die because <laughs> really? I would forget everything. Wow. Cause I'm so busy as a leader before you go on a mission that I didn't have time to go shoot my gun. So my guys would go shoot it and they would, they would bring back the shot group for me. So I saw that it happened as opposed to, Hey, did you shoot it? And the guy lies to you and goes, yeah, I shot it. So I want to see what happened. It allows for, I think, the grace of making mistakes because everybody's going to be there to support mm-hmm. picking up of a mistake. If you do that in business, boy, it's much more effective instead yeah. of some emotional attachment. Right. It seems, uh, it occurs to me that living in that pattern, it serves to bump up communication. Yes. I mean, straightforward, non emotional communication. Right. Like if you're my, you know, maybe not the right term, financial advisor, and I make a promise to invest something, it's straightforward. Hey, Tom, did the investment go in? Oh, dude, Tony, I totally forgot. Thanks for reminding me. So you don't have all that emotional stuff Mm -hmm, going mm -hmm, on. mm -hmm. It's one of the great forms of leadership is you never allow emotions to solve any problems. What's the, what are the black and white things that I have? I love the black things. I love the things that we missed and I love the things that we have. Right. I have all these things that went well and these 18 million things that aren't going well. Good. That's where we're going to work in this hard space, that the, the, the black space. Yeah. The gray space is trust. I don't mm-hmm. know if it happened or not. Mm-hmm. Not to go down that rabbit hole, but a lot of people ask that and like, no, there's no trust in the teams at all. That, that is, I find that just fascinating. It's very interesting. It might be because the space in which I live and work, I have found that when it comes to personal finances, there has to be a, a degree of trust for uh, an individual pull close to an advisor. They just, and, and so that, that's a little, I mean, it's a little different than the SEAL team, but, but trust is kind of big in our business to start with. I should say to start with, I, I can see the, the dynamic you're describing as being very valuable once the process has started. And having been in this conversation multiple times uh, uh, in the civilian world, I would call it proof. 
Mm. So if you're going to be my advisor, I would love you to prove to me that you're capable of doing something before I jump into the deep end. There you go. If you can prove it, I totally trust that it's going to happen. Right. If you're going to use those two terms in the same you know, sentence. Yeah. If you prove to me something's going to work relatively so, not everything doesn't work. Like right. you, a lot of things you can't control. But if you show me the process, so proof and show me is what the teams are all about. I see. Show me what you're doing. Prove that it works. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Now we don't have to have the emotional outlay called, I think it's going to work. Mm-hmm. He's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. He does it every single day. Like he polishes his you know buckles every day. Mm-hmm. I'll trust that he is. I just look over there. Yep. They're, they're polished every single day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it allows more grace from my varying opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your mentoring and coaching business, um, what form does it take in delivery? Um, mm-hmm. I know you do conferences. So our niche, so we're talking about this offline. Right. Uh, leaders or successful, already successful people between 35 and 50 that are kind of on a plateau. Mm. Entrepreneurs that have started a business, it's successful, and then they kind of get stale. Mm. They don't want to be stale, and, mm-hmm. but that's a hard conversation. How do you then gr- keep growing once you're successful? So that niche community has three different outlays into it. I do private coaching. For example, you and I, if it was a private coaching, you and I would meet eight times in one year, uh, spend a day together on topic. Each eight sessions has a topic. And then a, I call it homework. People who went to school hate when I say homework. Oh, no, I don't want to do homework. Yeah. To prove to, prove to yourself that it works. Mm-hmm. And greatest business model in the world is you pay when it works. If it doesn't work, there's no pay. Well. We're, and uh, we're right back to where we started. <laughs> and it's, it works every, not works every time, but you have to do the work. Sure. So a linear process, do A, B, C, D, and E and do it every day and stop talking yourself out of it. Wow. It works. Yeah. And that process is to two X, five areas, physical, intellectual, wealth, relational, and spiritual. If you're not willing to put two X on the table, as a, like an outcome based over a year, I probably won't coach you. Like if you want 10%, just do what you're doing a little more. It'll probably work out. Mm-hmm. 478 clients to date have two X those five areas. So there's the individual training. The other mm-hmm. one is uh, now I have several clients. The guy I mentioned before, who's a wealth manager in, in uh, Amarillo. Uh, after he made it through the training, he's like, man, I want to help you teach this because that was profound. So he's now a trainer of mine and we do training in, in Texas area to grow his pack. I call it. Mm-hmm. And I have another guy who runs mass mutual here in the Carolinas, who's a trainer and he forexed his business. And then a girl in uh, Omaha that is a, a obstetrician that went through training and profoundly moved her. And she's like, I want to help teach it. So I have three trainers that we do seminars and that's the same effect in 90 days. When you grew, when you do it in a group, man, does it happen quicker. Oh, really? Yeah, like profoundly quicker. But it was hard for me as a businessman to go, man, I have to drop the price. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> and the other one is uh, consulting where like if you owned a business, 
I would come in and, and do a process consulting to increase one of the verticals that you're working on. I'm, I'm curious about the, uh, the group effort. Mm-hmm. You say it's 90 days. So how many meetings in 90 days would just two. So I'll explain them. Okay. So the, uh, the first training is called level one. Like I'm, I'm literally a gorilla with my fingers on the ground, dragging them. So I had to give it a name. The only mm-hmm. one I could come up with was level one. <laughs> so level two weekend begins on a Friday night. And that Friday night conversation is uh, about communication, authentic communication without can people wrong. So until you can be heard without judgment, it's very difficult to create a process to make a difference with somebody. Like I want to be able to be present in the room with all my bullshit that I brought to me and I want it to not have any effect. So Okay. And there's a process of communication. And I always think the simple things matter. Mm-hmm. Listen first, speak second, and then clar- clarify and verify third. Like, hey, Tony, did you say pink? Because I heard pink. Yeah, I said pink. Yeah, okay, good. Now we had great communication. And then speak authentically. If you want to ask a question, ask it from a committed point of view. Don't ask a question that you don't really care for the answer. So that starts at around 630 and goes we limit it to 20 people. So it goes till around 11 that first time, first night. Mm-hmm. And the next morning starts at 8.30 and goes till two in the morning. And there's really <laughs> people like, okay, I can't believe it's two because it's so engaging that oh, really? I'm tired, but it's not like I'm going to die here. So the first block of training is that there's a formula to life. There's actually a, a code inside of you that if you learn it and get exposed to it and start tapping into it, it profoundly works hmm. and that goes till noon. And then afternoon is a block of training called uh, what I call focus, like teaching people how to hyper-focus it's called an on and off switch. So if you learn how to not do things half, you get efficiency. Okay. If you do things at half, the complaint is always, everything takes too long. I have too many things going on it's just because you don't know how to focus and it's a learnable process. Yeah. And then dinner, and then after dinner is a block of training called, uh, uh, I call it emotions or master emotions. They always call it learning how to let go of being right. So that's probably the dynamic. So it's, it's learning the, uh, what emotions are designed to do. Mm. Like emotions are there. They have a predetermined outcome. Mm-hmm. And when you learn the predetermined outcome to an emotion, you can turn it off. Like sadness is not really appropriate. It's not really appropriate. Joy is much more appropriate, even to somebody dying. There should be joy there than sadness. Mm. The sadness, the outcome of sadness is it starts killing your cellular structure. Mm. And a doctor had to show us that, that people who are sad begin to be less human. Wow. So I don't know if it's appropriate to be sad now that you, you put yeah. that on the table. And that's where all the breakthroughs happen at night. Also, because they're tired and they they put their guard down, and uh, and then there's a a what I call a 21 day assignment, and you have to be able to do uh, what I call three simple things for 21 days in a row, and you can't miss a day, and you got to start over, and that process exposes everybody to the four excuses of life, which you would get a lot of value from. The reason why people don't invest well are these four excuses. The first one, it's painful. 
it's things physically hurt. So I don't have to do what I promised or it's emotionally difficult. So I don't have to do what I promised. I excuse myself. Yeah. The, se- the second excuse is I don't have support. Like, Hey, you know, Tony, I agree. I'm going to invest, but my wife doesn't want me to anymore. So I get out of the opportunity to live a better life. Cause I excuse myself because I let other people influence my decisions, mm-hmm. which is sometimes horrible. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is a beautiful excuse called, I forgot, dude, Tony, I just forgot. I, yeah. I forgot to do that. <laughs> so it has weird outcomes. If you forget to do simple stuff, it has a different outcome. It does. I didn't invest. Oh my God. What did I do? Well, yeah. Because why there's no money there. Cause I didn't do the simple stuff. Right. And the, the fourth one is what happens be, right before success. It's uh, a conversation that happens in your head called, this is stupid. Like, Hey, I've, I've invested for 11 months. Why do I have to keep doing this? It sounds like this is stupid. Yeah. Right before yeah. people are successful, they just don't do the next thing. And the more difficult it is, they'll always excuse themselves, right? It's called the penultimate excuse because mm. this is stupid. I don't want to mm. do it one more time. Mm. And you would see from an investment standpoint, oh my gosh, just do it one more, one more investment. Just do not that it, that's how you advise, but just that one more time and you would have crossed the line. So that 21 day exercise exposes the four excuses of life that are very preventative. Then level two, that gr- and you have th- two goals, a wealth goal and a health goal. Okay. In level one. In level one. So that's the, the outcome of level one is you have to 2X a health goal and 2X a wealth goal okay. within 90 days. And then we meet 90 days later. And then it's about how to lead and manage other human beings. It's called mentorship, relationship, spiritual, uh, how to fail, another 21-day assignment to live a six-hour baseline and pay yourself for your activity. Hmm. which is how you really want to make money is pay yourself to do the things that are there in your life, which I thought was going to be an interesting conversation to have. It would be. Yes, indeed. And, uh, but pay yourself to do healthy things, pay yourself to, to learn pay. And it's a, a, like a point formula, pay yourself to do the things in life that draw you wealth, like take money out of the bank and put it in the jar. And that dopamine fix that validates the things that you're doing really acquires momentum. Like you get, you get to see I, the three simple things in relationships that have great value are listen to your wife or spouse, speak to your wife or spouse, and then have intimacy every day or love language. My wife requires that I clean the kitchen. That's her intimacy. I require kind of more gropage and feel. So I'm a physical <laughs> love language and you pay yourself that. So if mm-hmm. you do that, you see great value going into your life and people struggle with that. So yeah. Yeah. in that second 21 days, you either pay yourself or you pull money out. Okay. And the people that don't do what they value have a deficit after 21 days. You pay yourself to do work business. Like I did the three simple things in business and I paid myself, but I didn't work out. So the one comes out, uh-huh. didn't learn anything new today. And another one comes out. I didn't talk to my wife or spouse and stuff comes out. Yeah. And that's why people feel like it's, I have to be more busy, 
But when you acquire that six hour baseline of paying yourself to do activity, they're like, wow, I, I, I met my yearly quota in a quarter by doing really simple stuff. And that takes them sometimes 90 days to accomplish. Sometimes they do it in the first 21. So interesting. It's very tactile. Yes. If you don't get a dopamine fix, you'll never do it again. Yeah. If you don't get a positive reinforcement, whatever you're doing will go away very summarily. You don't have a choice. Yeah. Because yeah. it's easier to drink because I get a, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's easier to get to have that tactile experience of reinforcement doing something stupid than it is because I don't get any reinforcement. If I don't get dopamine, there's no reinforcement to do anything. Right. Right. It's a, it's a beautiful dynamic and it, it summarily works every, every time. And what's your cadence with level one and level two? Do you do level one three times a year or four times a uh, year? No, it's actually uh, more succinct. It's about a three month sales cycle to get 20 people. Mm-hmm. So we're always on a three month sales cycle. Meaning, uh, if we want a training in January, you start that cycle. If we want a training in February, it starts three months prior. So each month we're starting a new cycle with a new instructor or I am, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year we've done nine level ones. Oh, have you really? Okay. Some were in the same month because, uh, some sales cycles really work well and some are a struggle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, during COVID we stayed intimate and didn't get virtual. That was the difficulty, but we found out that churches uh, were open because nobody's going to church. So, hey, we'd love to use your church. Here's some funds, and uh, let's can we use your church to do this training? And so in Texas, all the churches opened themselves up to us for that yeah, year. Yeah, We did uh, eight that year in Texas. It was, wow. it was quite remarkable. Okay. And Right now, having been to your webpage, I've noticed they're mostly in the Eastern United States. Now they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This year we, we did some in the spring in Texas and then the rest, well, there's going to be one in Omaha in October and one, uh, we just completed a level two here in Greenville and the next one on the East coast is in Charlotte in September. Great. And Tom, for our listeners out there that we've uh, raised some interest in our conversation from what is the very, what's the very best way for them to find out more about what you're doing? Uh, I unbreakable leadership.com is kind of the holding tank and you can reach to us, reach out to us there. Our partners are very responsive. Uh, I'm usually 80% the person that's going to respond on that website. I, I, I think it's clear, but you and I know that it's hard to put something down on paper and make it clear. Yes. Yes. Well, Tom, I want to thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your time and, and your life experience with us, exposing us to what you're doing with your life now. Sure. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And uh, I would say to the strategists out there that are listening to this, check out Tom's program and never forget to strategize always. Thanks again, Tom. Yeah, hey, great, thank you. I appreciate y'all. Evening. Thank you. Bye-bye now.